All right, welcome aboard to another episode of White Collar Crimes. The podcast that shows you the only color that truly matters in our criminal justice system is green. I am the host, Ryan Horn. Great to have you aboard. You know, last week we talked about Kevin Trudeau, the late-night pitchman huckster from the infomercials in the 90s and early 2000s, and we're going to continue a little bit on that theme again for this episode around a time here that a lot of you will remember, and we're going back again to primarily the 1990s, which, you know, I went to high school in the early 90s and college in the, you know, mid-90s, and I don't know, it was just a fun time, I think, looking back on it. Uh, The country was, you know, doing fairly well economically, and, you know, there wasn't a lot of turmoil in the world, and, you know, looking back on the movies and the fashion and the music and everything, it was just, just a lot of fun, you know, looking back. It was a fun time to be around, you know. I was, you know, very busy back then working and going to college, but it was uh, some good times. And, you know, a lot of times uh, growing up and even in college, we didn't have cable. So late at night, if I took a break from studying or when I got home from work, the only thing I might find on were infomercials. And one that I certainly remember and one many of you my age and older and, you know, maybe even just a little bit younger will remember Don LaPree, and if you, the name doesn't ring a bell, then Google it, DuckDuckGo, Bing Search, whatever engine you use, type him in and see what comes up, and I would say a good chunk of you will remember him. It's uh, Don, D-O-N, last name LaPree, L-A-P-R-E. You will instantly probably recognize him. A very common face you saw on late night TV back in this days, back in this day. Infomercials were kind of a popular thing for a while. I even remember uh, there was a, a few networks that we had when we did have cable back in the 90s. Uh, there was one network I remember that that's all it had was like a, a network of infomercials. I don't think it lasted too terribly long. But again, you know, you're talking before the Internet really totally exploded and, and really took over lives. And, you know, again, in the 90s, the Internet was just kind of starting to become a thing. You didn't have smartphones then. You didn't have social media, you know, you didn't have YouTube. A lot of the things that have advanced technology today, we did not have then. But that back then, that's how information got out there, you know, i.e. the infomercial. And Don LaPree jumped on the board. This, like I said, there were all kinds of infomercials on TV back then. You know, I mentioned Kevin Trudeau last week. And Don LaPree, like Mr. Trudeau, also used the multi-level marketing format. And as we talked about that last week, there's a fine line between a multi-level marketing, which is also referred to MLM, and a pyramid scheme. But the goal in a multi-level marketing is to get people signed up under you, you know, pushing and selling the product, and you make money off their commissions and on and on, and, you know, the guy up on the top gets money from all of you. And most of the time in multi-level marketing or a pyramid scheme, the guy at the top is the only one that truly ends up making money. And in some states, these are illegal pyramid schemes. Pyramid schemes also will usually just push the product or push recruitment and an idea more than they will the actual selling of a product. And it's a fine line. It really is kind of a, a very fine line between legitimate multi-level marketing. And there are legitimate multi-level marketing companies. Don't get me wrong. Not all of them are scams and and fraud fraudulent and whatnot but it's a difficult system to make money in but 
there's always people looking to make money, so people sign up for it. And, you know, in some states, running a true pyramid scheme is actually illegal. But Lepre got in on this, and a little big background on him. He was born in Rhode Island, but when he was a child, his family moved to the Phoenix, Arizona area. And he later dropped out of high school, something that he would frequently note in his infomercials, that despite dropping out of school and not even having a high school diploma, he was a very wealthy and successful man. And he married, and he and his wife actually started a credit repair business called Unknown Concepts. And he also began to sell a booklet, which he claimed was a way to recover Federal Housing Administration insurance refunds after you had paid off your mortgage. And then he expanded into the 900 phone lines. Now, you younger listeners probably don't remember this, but that was another thing that was big in the 80s and 90s were 900 numbers. You know, 800, even now you see that's the toll-free numbers you call. But back then, again, before cell phones and before, you know, you could call anywhere in the country for free, 900 numbers were a way a lot of businesses and services made money. And if you watch TV late at night, you probably saw the... Sexy late night ads, you know, bordered on, you know, escort services really ways to, you know, they were probably like a very soft uh, phone sex operation. I can remember seeing those on. And there were other uh, celebrities and things that had services and and things you could call in. I can remember when I was a kid, there was a wrestling uh, thing I used to watch on TV and they had 900 numbers you could call and hear things. And, you know, the rates were extremely high when you called these and, you know, but that's how they had to make their money. But that's how it was done then. Again, this is before really the internet had really taken off and 900 numbers were a way, you know, for a lot of people to make money because, you know, it cost a lot to call. Uh, Again, you younger viewers don't remember it, but, you know, in the 80s and 90s, long distance was still a thing. It it cost a lot of money sometimes just to call. You know, I can remember growing up, even uh, my mom worked in a town that was six miles north of us, but because it was in a different county, we got charged long distance if I called her work. You know, that's unimaginable now, you know, all these years later when you can call, you know, I have friends in California and South Dakota and, you know, have a sister that is in uh, Nevada right now. I can call any of them and, you know, it doesn't cost me a cent, but at one time it did. And 900 numbers were a way you could make money. And Mr. LaPree claimed that by doing this, you know, this kicked things off for him along with his other uh, in investments and business ventures. And he, uh, he would claim on his infomercials that he was able to make $50,000 a week from his tiny one bedroom apartment. And that, you, that little phrase there, a lot of you that remember him on this show, remember him talking about that quote from his tiny one bedroom apartment. And it soon evolved into a regular show, the making money show, as it was called oddly with Don LaPree, of course. And it actually became a pretty highly rated infomercial as far as infomercials go. And again, a lot more people watch them than would now. You know, again, you know, you had didn't have a lot of options a lot of times for people who didn't have cable or satellite. You know, these were on a lot of regular broadcast TV late at night. And that might be the only thing you could find on. Or, uh, you know, again, without Internet and things like that, a lot of people. Internet was around then, but it, it hadn't really taken hold. Every house didn't have internet. Um, I know we didn't actually back then. I was in college, but was able to, you know, use computers on in the library and things like that because assignments and the workload that we had didn't depend on it like it does now. And uh, 
So it was a thing that, you know, a lot of people, it was just kind of catching on. So, you know, a lot of people tuned into these and that was a little catchphrase that he always had that uh, he did this by, quote, placing tiny classified ads. And again, that was a thing you don't see a lot of now. Newspapers are still around, although they're, you know, they're kind of on life support. Uh, but they they do still exist, and the you know advertising's in it, classified ads. That's used to how you found a job, how you found an apartment. Uh, a lot of pets back in the day, people would find pets that way. You know that was the way it was the marketplace, so to speak. You know, long before you had uh, eBay and you know all the swap sites that you see on Facebook, local and otherwise, and you know Macari and Let Go and all these services you can sell things on now with your smartphone and literally just in a few clicks sell something to somebody you know around the country well back then that wasn't as common and if you wanted to get something out there as he pointed out you you put ads in classified ads in newspapers and he claimed by just putting tiny little ads in these papers he was able to make this kind of money now he didn't go into a lot of detail and i can remember this at the time watching these he didn't go into a lot of detail about what he made what products so much that he was making this off because let's face it if you want to take out ads you want to have a 900 number something like that to keep it going you're going to have to have some type of service or product that people want and they're interested in and they're going to keep buying and he didn't really that i recall go into a whole lot of uh detail on that but he began to expand and you know pitch his little uh packets of self-help books tapes etc you know how you could make money like he did and then after offering financial service advice and things like that he branched out into vitamins just like our friend kevin trudeau we talked about last week and just like kevin trudeau this is when a lot of his troubles began he uh around the same time actually both these two had similar trouble but around 2005 don laprie was warned by the fda and this is the food and drug administration you know those of you that may not be familiar you know, i know we do have listeners in other countries outside the u.s here and that is the organization that oversees just that food and drug safety and it's been around a really long time over a hundred years and uh they regulate a lot of things that are approved by you know medically and you know food safety they've really become kind of well-known in the last couple years in the pandemic era we've lived in here, but they began to warn him that the claims that his vitamins could treat illnesses such as, you know, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, arthritis, insomnia, you name it, were not backed by medical science, and he was making false claims. And again, this is the exact same trouble Kevin Trudeau had, and we talked about that. He was pitching products that he made, you know, really outrageous claims that these things could cure these you know vitamins and these you know i guess you could call them pills whatever that he sold were not backed by any type of science that they could actually you know cure these illnesses but uh he continued to push this claim despite the warnings from the fda again very similar to what mr trudeau did but matters began to get worse for him around 2011 and at this time he was indicted in Phoenix by a federal grand jury operating a nationwide scheme to run a worthless internet business. You know, imagine that. That's a pretty vague and broad term. I think a lot of businesses I see this day and age could probably fall under that umbrella. But nonetheless, 
That's what they charged him with, and the prosecutors alleged that he had swindled over 200,000 victims out of more than $52 million. And the 41-count indictment included charges of conspiracy, mail fraud, wire fraud, and various other charges. And he failed to appear at his arraignment, and again, for those of you listening that don't know, this is when the written formal charges are brought against a defendant. And an arrest warrant was issued, and that's what happens. You know, when you don't show up for court, I, I, you know, I work for the court system, and judges very frequently explain this to defendants, and I'm always shocked how many of them either defy this or don't simply grasp that, that if you don't show up for court, you are going to be, you know, there is going to be an arrest warrant issued, and most likely you're going to end up back in jail. And he was arrested about two days later at a gym I believe it was in Tempe, Arizona, pretty close by there to Phoenix. And he was found with self-inflicted knife wounds to the groin. Ouch. (laughs) And it is believed that he had attempted suicide by attempting to sever the femoral artery. And uh, he was taken into federal custody in June of 2011 with his trial set to start on October 4th, 2011. But sadly, he would take his own life two days before... His trial was set to begin when on August 2nd, 2011, he was found dead in his cell with a razor wound to the throat. I mean, he certainly uh, took a painful way out. You know, I mean, slight, slight, slitting your own throat has got to be a very painful way to go. But, you know, in, people in jail don't have a lot of options. And, you know, when I worked at the county jail for 13 years back in the 90s and 2000s here, it, uh, you know, there's that's pretty much most of the choices they have they most time when there's a suicide it's either done by you know hanging with a bed sheet or sometimes you know a slitting a wrist or in this case a throat with a razor blade if they do get for shaving that's mostly the options you have sometimes you hear of them hoarding medication and doing it that way but you know they don't have as broad of a range of choices to do something like this as as a free person does and that's a choice he made and, you know, he wanted to make sure no one found him because he did wrap himself up in bed sheets to conceal the bleeding, you know, in case anybody did try to intervene. And I imagine there's a lot of blood that would come from slicing your own throat open. Very, very painful way to go. And that's a choice that he made. Who knows what would have happened, you know. Um, if he were truly innocent, I think he would have, you know, tried to fight it out or maybe just do his time. You know, Trudeau that we talked about last week was found guilty and, you know, he's done his time and I think, you know, set to be released here fairly soon. And who knows how much time he would have gotten. I can't imagine he would have gotten, you know, as much time as Trudeau did. I don't know, you know, their scams were pretty similar in a lot of ways. I think, you know, the amount of people that that were victimized and, you know, the number of people and, and things of that sort, I can't imagine he would have gotten you know, a great deal of time, and he was still a fairly, you know, young man at this time. He was only 47 when he killed himself, so a lot of life would have been ahead of him. But even though he made millions, and he made millions off, you know, this, uh, these scams, and he still had financial issues as well, you know, really throughout his life. In 1999, the IRS had apparently placed a lien against him and his wife for delinquent taxes, which, You know, we hear that a lot. A lot of, you know, millionaires like that don't, you know, like to pay taxes and they find ways to get around it. But apparently he didn't pay any and, you know, there was a lien placed against him. And before he hit it big in 1988, he had apparently launched a dating service. But two months later, he had to file for Chapter 7 bankruptcy protection. So I guess it didn't go too well. 
Um, you know, again, in 1988, you know, dating services and things like that you would see too were common. Now, not so much. You know, people are meeting online, you know, eHarmony, I imagine things like that. You know, I've been out of the dating game for a while, been married 12 years now, but uh, I can imagine it's changed quite a bit in, even in 12 years. But again, he made millions, as we often see in these uh, pyramid schemes, but few, if any, made money under him. In fact, again, though, he made millions. Uh, actually, you know, his whole scam was, as we talked about before, reported to have taken in approximately $52 million. Pretty good chunk of change. But only about $6 million in commissions were reported. So, you know, he made nearly 10 times what anybody else underneath him did. And to my knowledge, what was reported, nobody ever made a profit doing this. And that's that's oftentimes how these go. Uh, Am, Amway's been around a long time. I'm sure you've had friends or family that sell it. I have. You know, it's been around for a long time. But to my knowledge, according to the IRS, I had heard this, and this has been probably 10 years ago I remember hearing this, uh, nobody had ever reported making $50,000 a year or more selling that, you know. But, you know, they... The two men that founded it, the two brothers that did, have done quite well, and it's become quite a successful business. You know, I can remember when we lived in Orlando. I worked at the Amway Center there. I think it's still called that, where the Orlando Magic play. And, uh, you know, those guys made a lot of money doing that. But, you know, did people underneath them? Not so much, you know, because it's their startup costs in these MLMs and pyramid schemes, for lack of a better word. And a lot of times people aren't in it long enough to make up their money, or the business model is very hard for them to achieve that but the person at the top just like here always makes money you know now i don't know that you know i think he pushed this mlm and pyramid scheme thing more than trudeau did trudeau i think mainly you know just profited off selling fraudulent medical you know books and tapes and things of that sort but nonetheless you know be careful out there yeah there are ways you can make extra money and it's always good to have side hustles i have a few myself and I recommend everybody does. I think it was Warren Buffett that said, never have just one source of income, always have some more. But, you know, keep in mind, it's very difficult to make money in these uh, type of services, especially when it seems like the focus, and this should be a big red flag for us, you know, when the focus is more about recruiting and getting people in than actually selling a product or service, that's your red flag. You might be in on a, you know, MLM scam or a pyramid scheme. So, Keep an eye out for that. I think that's one of the big telltale signs to it. And that was certainly the case with here, with him. But unlike some of the others we've talked on the show, you know, we've talked about Jordan Belfort getting out. And, you know, last week we talked Kevin Trudeau will be out pretty soon. You know, a lot of these get out and they're able to prey on victims again. And most likely, sadly, it does happen because, you know, just like common street criminals, white-collar criminals don't stop offending once they get released from jail and prison either, sadly. But by him taking his own life, we don't know what really would have happened with Don LaPree if he would have been, you know, free now and able to start another scheme or victimize someone else. You know, who knows? Um, You know, who knows if he would have been found guilty or if he would have, what he would have served. But, you know, he decided to take the verdict in his own hands and, you know, probably forever we'll have people assume now that he was guilty, you know, killing himself only two days before his actual trial. So a sad story all around, you know, really could have been an American success story. A guy that dropped out of high school and was living in a tiny apartment. And, you know, if he would have followed legitimate hard work and business, which he apparently had some good business acumen, 
to get this much. You know, if he would have applied that honestly, who knows? He could have really turned into a really good success story. You know, kind of like Rod Blagojevich, Illinois governor, you know. Talked about him on one of these podcasts. Sadly, you know, he's born son of working class immigrants, a shoeshine boy, worked his way, you know, through school and law school and became a congressman and governor. If You know, could have finished that off as an American success story. But sadly, turned to fraud and deceit and trying to chase that almighty dollar. And that's what too many do far too many times. Well, we thank you for joining us on this episode. If you like us, follow us on our Facebook page, White Collar Crimes. You can also uh, follow us and you know suggest show ideas, or if you want to be a guest on this show, you can contact me on our Anchor FM link. That's the hosting site for this podcast. Also, a place on there where you can donate to us. We certainly appreciate that to help us keep going, but as I always say, we much more appreciate you tuning in and listening to us, And but we're always glad to have you as a guest or any type of ideas, and we have had you know listeners on this show, and we'd be glad to have you if you want to be on. Just feel free to contact me. You can also email me with any ideas at ryanhornvt at gmail.com. Check out my website if you're interested in any type of uh, voiceover services. I am a professional actor and voice actor also and provide these type of services if needed. And you can check out some of the work I've done at ryan-horn.com. And as we always say, we just urge you to support your local pet shelter. We just uh, adopted... Helped to get a few of our fosters adopted right now at this moment that I broadcast this. We don't have any, but I imagine we'll have some foster pups coming in soon. Just had some. Uh, one of my, one of them that we just fostered, I believe, is going to be living in Florida. And uh, one of the adopters, I believe, is a professional golfer, what we've told. So, you know, keep stay tuned for that. Might be something on our Facebook page about that. But remember just to keep looking out for each other, folks. And, you know, watch out for the scams and the deceit. And, uh... Again, we appreciate you having our back and listening to this and keeping us going and helping us expose crimes that don't always get the headlines as the common street crimes do. We thank you for allowing us to have this platform. So God bless and take care, everybody. Talk to you soon.